0: all right sorry Uh, he had been married to becky holt for 23 years and she died of cancer i know you were gonna say whatever um and they didn't have any children but he knows a lot about grief and he's taught me a lot about grief and what's helpful and what's not helpful um he also is a volunteer at a live hospice because that was very meaningful for him and he's very encouraging about hospice care for people. And he's just a wonderful human being. So that's that's your introduction. Thank
1: you. Class is over.
0: Don has been in Otter Creek for about, what, 10 years or more, and um, is married to Kathy. I, I know him better, uh, he, he he does the grief-share uh, meetings that we do through Otter Creek, uh, and I've heard wonderful things about that with him. I know him better because I keep the nursery with Kathy, and he's the baby <laughs> whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> when we have one that just doesn't want to settle down, then you know we hope Don's coming in, because he, uh, he, he knows what to do with that baby, so anyway. Uh, But he, through his counseling and through his um, experience and so forth with Grief Share, he has um, an excellent background about dealing with grief. So he's going to share that with us today along with John. All right. Well, when you're
1: talking about grief, I thought it was... Uh, the grief I give Julie <laughs> on a daily basis—it's recent as yesterday—making me go to a Halloween party and dress-up. Yeah, because uh, last night I put the stuff on and you put hair and it's like werewolf, but I look like a homeless guy instead. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was the the grief part. We've all lost people, you know, uh, my parents, grandparents, and and a lot of people. You expect well, they're when you're younger, they're older, and it's going to happen. But uh, personally when it's unexpected and it's your wife and there's several in here that have lost husbands and 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 their wives uh it it really hits hard and uh for becky she was uh uh one of five she was the middle one and the best the others are kind of marginal so (laughs) and the mother-in-law was really marginal but anyway so that's a whole nother class (laughs) but uh she was uh, really, in a good, when I met her, she worked at Opryland. She was a dancer and Out Here America Singing, the lead dancer, and really uh, talented in that, and uh, was on the national network, different things. And she kept in shape, and so we come to 2001, and she uh, develops a pain. And, and I, a little background on this, just separate, That's God's will, I guess. We hadn't been attending a church. I'd grown up Church of Christ. She was a Methodist. I tried to blend it at, at a real conservative one, and I didn't like it either. So we ended up just professional, as Rubel Shelley said, the, uh, uh, what was that? The, the Church of the Box Springs Mattress uh, St. Pillow. <laughs> so uh, in January or February, through Phil Hasty, a friend of mine, he went to Woodmont Hills, and I went there, and it just connected. So I found a church, <coughs> she gets a pain, this is all uh, February to May. In May, the pain gets so bad. Um, we go to the doctor. She has a test. They uh, uh, call us, want to meet us, and then biopsy, uh, colonoscopy, and then you meet with the uh, the doctor, the um, cancer doctor. And he, uh, after they left, the, you know, he said, We're going to do some chemo, and then. Uh, so after they left i said well can you operate no is is it something can be healed no well how much time a few months so this was uh may she died in november so that journey um thankfully i had rubel shelley who we we met with and talked and uh he was a great great inspiration uh to help us through through all this and he's a genuinely one of the finest people I've ever met as far as a solid, straight up guy. And uh, so anyway, we, uh, during that journey, we did some chemo and it, it just, you know, it didn't work. And uh, finally got to a clinical trial, which got real bad. So she's in the hospital for a few couple of weeks. Then all of a sudden one day they, they say, you've got to get out of here. You know, we can't do any more. And it's like, well, what, what do we do? You know, I didn't, I was 40, I was 50 years old. And she was 49. And so there was a hospice program they recommended, and then my brother in law was on the board with the live hospice uh, or a breakfast meeting. And he he hooked that up. We went there, which was a great blessing. And she was there several weeks, probably almost a month, because physically she was in great shape uh, due to her, you know, how she exercised, yoga, and everything else. And that's where she passed away. So. Prior to that, I'd made arrangements for the funeral and backing up a little bit, when we got the news, we didn't have a will and I thought, need to get that, knock that out. And I I told her, you know, it was real hard, but I said, you know, we need to do that anyway. We've talked about it. And I got with a friend, we got a will done. Uh, Then later when it looked like when she was in hospice, I got the funeral arrangements done and uh, even to the service, everything, so that when she did pass, which was inevitable, you know, I had it all s- situated. So after, uh, for those who've been a caretaker, you know, I uh, was with her the whole journey, the doctors, and spending the night every night at the hospital in the hospice, and um, and uh, so when she passed, it was a tr- really a blessing. Uh, I know I remember Ruba Shelley saying, talking about the different religions that step into the grave, but with a, as a, a Christ follower, we we've, our steps lead out, and that just meant a lot to me so and praise God anyway it's it's been a it's been a long time, but you know I hadn't really uh, visited that much uh, recently, so it's I'm sorry, but it just uh, I'd be worried about you if you
2: weren't experienced.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it was uh, after after the you know taking care of her and watching her suffer and through all of that. Um, it was a relief at first when she passed, and then you go home and you're by yourself, and then you're thinking about now I got a funeral, and uh, that was that was that was very consoling uh, because your friends and family and that meant, meant everything, and then uh, so then you get through that, and then I, uh, in sales I'd go see my customers, and everyone you know would bring it up very kindly, and then I just cried constantly. You know, for uh, months, and and they say it takes a year. Don't don't sell your house. Don't move. Don't do anything for a year. And I I, I agree with that because it was a good full year to get through the worst part. Uh, I even after about six months uh, I had a physical and I and I, I took I asked if I could take some antidepressant to keep because you know every little thing would bring it, bring it up. And I did it a month or two and then uh, stopped that. But it did knock it back. But uh, but. Uh, one thing uh, Paulette sent that email is excellent. That one you sent. If anybody ever wants to know what I mean, it nailed it. It was like reading the mail uh, about read my mail about what uh, grieving is and uh, some of the things oh, were.
0: I, yeah, I didn't. That just it was a Facebook post. Yeah, yeah. I, I just sent it to you. Wow, office. it was
1: great. I mean, it it, it nailed it because. Um, you know, people show up, they surround you, they come with good hearts, they want to support you. Uh, the early days you become a grief zombie, then over the coming days the, the, the calls are real frequent and then it drops off, you expect it. But And what I wanted to do is keep busy and, and stay with it and what one, the one thing that really helped me, uh, Becky did yoga and I went with her to a class, uh, a couple of them, she asked me to go when she was sick. And, um, and I enjoyed it, and so I kept going. I went three or four times a week, you know, and uh, every Saturday, and it was really, really good. And, uh, and all there was mostly girls there, and they all loved Becky, and so it was good to have that. So then after a while, as I got through most of it, these girls were like, it was like, wow, these are a lot of girls. They're nice looking. And uh, I thought, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm free now. So <laughs> so one day, I'll, I'll, and I I'll told this, to, to some of our friends. Uh, one of the teachers, she's married, a real pretty girl, and everybody's obviously younger than me. I'm 50, they're 30s, forties, something So she said, Johnny, you, have you started dating yet? And I said, well, I'm trying. I've had people go to lunch and stuff. She said, well, I got you somebody. And so my head went to, which one? <laughs> you know, and she said, my mother. So <laughs> I, I right me. <laughs> She said she's about your age, and I was like, okay. I really needed to hear that, but anyway. Uh, but that that helped me through it, and it was a good year before it uh, kind of cleaned out, cleared out. Uh, her family wanted a big help. They were they were grieving themselves, so I understood that. But with friends and family, and thankfully being a part of uh, of the Woodmont Hills Church at the time, I didn't know a lot of people, so the uh, what few I did were really stood up, and uh, and I can't say enough about how Rubel Shelley was a genuinely good person helping in that respect. In fact, one, when we would go see him sometimes while Becky was sick, he uh, one of the discussions I mentioned. Uh, Becky grew up Methodist, sprinkled baptism, and I, we just talked about it a little bit. And and Rubel, in his own way, said, "Becky, if if you really feel like you were baptized as an infant and sprinkled." you know, go for it. He didn't say it like that, but, uh, but I believe the Bible says this and that, so, so went on, and, uh, we went to Florida, we were out in the ocean, and she asked me to baptize her, so, uh, that was a big, big moment for me. I did it twice, I wasn't sure I did it right the first time, but, uh, <laughs> but we were out in the ocean, and so that, that, that was good, but, uh, anyway, um, uh, Life goes on. Friends, family, helpful. I, I wish I'd had a bigger, a church family like this then, you know, because I—that's what you miss when you don't aren't a part of the church. And uh, I had a lot of friends and family, but my younger brother was a big help. We, you know, we'd go down to Fayetteville where my family's from just about every weekend, and uh, just got to work at it. But uh, anyway, uh, finally, I started dating a little bit, and the way I did it was. Somebody'd say they had somebody, and I'd go to lunch with them because then I could be like, Oh, that's 30, 45 minutes, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I'll just mention when I met Julie, I was getting a physical, and my uh, nurse uh, mentioned, uh, You start dating some? I said, Well, I'm trying, you know. This uh, It's been a, well over a year. And she said, Well, I've got you somebody. And so <laughs> I said, Well, give me your name and number. I thought, uh, and, and so she uh, <laughs> she said, Well, she's here, you know, so I was getting blood and she had Julie dragging her up to me (laughs) and uh, we met and and went out and it just was weird because the first place I took her was El Marachi Mexican Restaurant on Thompson Lane where I'd been going, which wasn't a real good place, but uh, (laughs) then I took her somewhere else and it turned out she lived uh, in a previous life on uh, General Bates, I was on drone And we would, me and Becky would jog past the house, and I'd see her and two little boys. And so we got to talking at lunch, uh, or dinner, and uh, I realized that's who it was. So it was like Twilight Zone or something, you know. And then it just hit, and then next thing you know, I wanted her to marry marry immediately. And uh, she backed off, thankfully, for a little bit anyway, so. But... uh, but anyway, it's uh, life goes on. You just got to work at it, and uh, uh, it's 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 uh, everybody has their own journey. And uh, but uh, anyway, that was that's part of my story. Mm-hmm. I won't hog the whole time. I liked
2: it. So thank you. anyway, thank you. Thank you, John.
3: Well, my name is Don Rose, and as Paul said, I've been here. Been going to church here about ten years. Uh, I see Fred back here. I remember that. Fred <laughs> Do you remember the first Sunday here, was not you? <laughs> you remember that day I passed out in the hallway <laughs> No, <laughs> I hadn't been here long, and I had a uh, a minor stroke event. And uh, I was walking down the hallway at church, and Kathy was walking in front of me, and I said. I remember thinking, Kathy, I'm getting dizzy, and uh, hopefully there's a stairwell right there just before you walk into the uh, gathering room area. Uh, and I turned into that stairwell, sat down on the stairs, sat down because I was so dizzy I was afraid I was going to fall down. And I sat down. Apparently I passed out, and I was apparently out for two or three minutes. Kathy, of course, Kathy was right there, and and by the time by the time I came to, I was. There was other people around, but then called an ambulance, and I was hauled to the hospital. But, uh, you know, for me, I was just saying, see, he came to the hospital, and he was at the emergency room uh, there, and and I, I will never forget, I forget that, that, that meant a lot to me that he was there. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, so we've had some experience here. But, uh, I, my my contact with grief... I guess I need to tell you a little bit about my past in the sense that I went to graduate school. I went to graduate school, <clears throat> to graduate school uh, for the School of Social Work and it's a, it's a psychology kind of degree and I became a psychotherapist and so I did a lot of counseling. I've done a lot of individual and family counseling with people over the years and dealt with grief and I had to deal with grief quite a bit. And so. Uh, and it, while I was in college, I happened to go to a conference at the, it was called UT School of Nashville back then. Now it's called Tennessee State Downtown, I think. But anyway, I was, I was there and went to a conference of a lady by the name of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And I'm going to talk a little bit about her and some things that I learned that day that has been uh, something good for me ever since in dealing with grief stuff. But working with grief and then uh, I've done several things. My last job before I retired, and I've been retired a couple of years, was that I, I, started, I started going, I, went, I was driving up to Fort Campbell every day and I was working with soldiers, doing counseling with soldiers. And primarily I got involved with doing uh, uh, therapy groups for soldiers with trauma. So those with PTSD and the trauma kind of stuff, I was doing therapy groups for helping them to deal with trauma. Some of that really, as a matter of fact, some of that is grief work because some of the trauma is that they've had is the death of their buddies. When you have a buddy who's standing here right beside you (coughs) and he's gone, or somebody that you're very, very close to and now they're gone uh, due to some sort of, uh, one of the tragedies of battle and war, then uh, dealing with that so anyway but before i left for, before i retired i came i came here and i uh, i think we were already we were already attending church here but i came to speak to mike runcy and i said you know i just know that a church of this size needs more counseling than what you can do if you're doing just one day a week he said oh it is and he said and he's just and he was just doing the one day a week and anybody else over that he's just sending over to agape well, uh, and so I so, said, well, you know, I'd like to see if I could kind of help with that. Well, you know, what time could I possibly, even before I retired, what time could I possibly, would well, it probably be Saturday morning? Well, for me, Saturday morning, Saturday morning around here is pretty quiet. This building is huge, but it's not on Saturday morning. There's nobody here. There's no staff. There's no office. There's, there's nothing. Well, there's plenty of space, but the idea of counseling with people privately and nobody else is around is not necessarily a good idea. I first started doing my counseling at the Woodmont Hills Church. And I worked, you know, I worked with Rubel. But uh, So we talk about Rubel as a dear person to be. But uh, Anyway, the uh, I remember one day when I had a client uh, say to me, I have slept with every counselor I've had before you, <laughs> and I said, "Obviously, they had met Kathy." <laughs> <laughs> I to with my counselor, I said to that lady that day, I said, "Well, I Did won't be one of
2: them." <laughs>
3: <laughs> and uh, at that point, after that session, I went down to. I went down church secretary says, Anytime that lady is and is with me, and she knew because she's in the church office a person came in. I said, Anytime she's there, I want you to come up and I want you to peek in the door. The the window the little the little window at the door. You peek in the door and just make sure that you can see me or her and we are, you know, and, and so we're right. not in compromising situations. <laughs> uh you know, even and at that time, they had prepared they fixed me a room that was upstairs, so it could be my counseling room that I used for many months, but sure enough, she would come up. I could hear her feet coming down the hall and and I was so glad that she did that. Just check that just to make sure everything's okay and and uh so and everything stayed okay and I don't know you know I've not heard from that lady as to how she's done since, but uh the point is that you know there's there's the uh, 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 when counseling there's a terrible tendency and there's so many and this church has had a problem with that with even minute and i know that because there's there's even had ministers here fred has been around long enough probably know that there've been ministers here who have been gotten involved in inappropriate relationships with counselees and it's it can be a real easy thing to do i've had I've I've had uh, counselors that why don't we get off that? What's I got to do with you? It wasn't, it wasn't that. I've had counselors who worship great, great, the ground great, I walked great. on, and it goes, hey, look, you know, we're not going to go there. I said, I'm not your friend. You know, a counselor is not your friend. I've got to be able to tell you that if you're not doing what I think you need to be doing, and you're not getting better, then I need to say, get out and don't come back. I'm not going to counsel you. And I've had to do that with people, but how do you do that for a friend? But anyway, so uh, grief. Uh, I'd gone to Mike Runcy and I said, what can I do? And he said, well, you know, I, I don't know. He said, well, we could, and he mentioned, said, well, maybe we could do some group things. I said, yeah. and said, what can we do a group? I, I said, I know how to do groups. <laughs> That's what I do at Fort Campbell every day. So I know how to do groups, and so we're talking about it. We realized that, and one of the things I had known, that one of the things that people can come to and to do uh, to that are comfortable with, when they're not really comfortable with going to counseling, they'll go with grief classes. And uh, um, marriage, marriage enrichment things is some of the things people will go to as well, as well as premarital. But grief is one of the things so I wanted to start with. And started looking around and found this program called Grief Share. And uh, Grief Share is the, comes from an organization out of North Carolina. And there's some people that put together these videos. There's 13 videos. And they put together these video series for to you know, spur discussion, and they were excellent videos. And I've gained a lot and learned from these videos that we play each week, and then we have discussion around about them. And so I meet here every Saturday morning. I was here yesterday morning, nine o'clock, and do a grief. I mean, do a group. Now there's nobody else around, but I'm. You know, it's not a matter of my doing counseling by myself. It's a matter of doing it with a group. But the, at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning, everybody's grief. Now, what I would like to do, and I, I hope I can erase part sure, of this, yeah, sure. but I'm, I'll leave the prayer list up. But uh, everyone, in terms of grief, you know, what is grief? Well, grief is something that, I, I just say, anytime you have had a significant loss of various kinds, if it's, a, if it's not a significant loss, then it doesn't matter. But you won't grieve a non-significant loss. You know, say, you know, I've I've used examples Said, hey, here's a, you know, I've got a pen. Oh, that's a very useful pen. I've used that pen several times. I like that pen. I lose the pen. Okay. I said, do I grieve over the loss of the pen? No. He said, what do I do? I just replace it. I got another one. (laughs) I use this one. (laughs) You know, that kind of stuff. You just replace it. But what if the pen was significant to me? What if it was the last thing that my mother gave me before she died? Or the last thing, you know, maybe the last thing that I got from a precious job that I had that I I'm no longer a part of that job and this was this pen was they gave it to me. And so the pen is significant to me for other reasons because its significance then if I lose that pen would I grieve the loss of the pen? Yes. And so, some of the stages of grief and the grief loss can be had over the loss of a pen. Now, we always talk about grieving as a loss of relationships, a loss of loved ones, and saying, is, and if we live long enough, we're going to lose somebody because everybody, you know, everybody is headed for that grade. Everybody is headed for great. It happens 100% of the time. So, because it does, then we all have losses. Now, I want to just sit. Uh, if, what I would like for you to do for me Ron, is to say what happens to us when we grieve? Now what I would like for you to do is I would like for you to identify, think about and you identify something that was different unusual that was not typical for you that happened to you that you felt, that you thought or that you experienced as a result of having lost someone we've already witnessed one this morning What Johnny did, one of the things was uncontrolled weeping. Johnny didn't want to break down and cry in front of us, did you? You didn't intend to do that. That was not something you wanted. I think it's wonderful that he felt safe with us in here, that he felt safe that he could do that. But the point is, it's uncontrolled weeping. It's one of the things that happens with grief. Whenever we experience a grief and that loss, that, now it's not just the fact that you cry when you don't, you don't intend to, but sometimes it's crying and you can't stop it. Where well, you just cry and cry and cry and weep and weep. The uncontrolled weeping is one of those things. So that's just one of the signs of grieving that, you know, any other that you can think of, something that you had to happen to you, something that you felt as a result of grief that was not typical for you. Just yes, Kim.
2: Okay. I had two, two of my, uh, um, uh, Jim. 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 um, yeah, uh, one, uh, they, the uh, mm-hmm. It's this, it, it, uh, the, girl. Mm-hmm. She, had, she just had a heart attack. Yeah. And then that was right around the series. Mm-hmm. and then um, right at the end, just a few months later my son, um, mm-hmm. he had a problem with drinking mm-hmm. and he died. Mm-hmm. So those two, uh,
3: so that was the So what did you feel or what were you thinking that, you know, what after that happened then, what did you experience in terms of how you felt, or what well, you were doing? A man
2: and a dog. Our dog died at this end. It's it's just like that was a. It was just. Oh okay.
3: yeah, oh yeah. The the multiple the multiple deaths the multiple losses can compound it. Sure, mm-hmm. whatever experience that we're having with grieving that we struggle with, essentially, so what uh anything else something that you felt or something you were doing that as a result of grief that was not not typical from you before Don, yes ma'am um, one of the things that i've noticed and it doesn't
0: exactly answer what you said but uh, i think it's significant enough to mention for me the thing that triggered intense grief on my part even you know
2: even now, is uh, that you get blindsided?
0: Mm-hmm. Something you know. I may go for a week and not think of my husband. Not rare. Not yeah. often. Yeah. But some,
2: just some,
0: something that reminds me. Yeah. Triggers. Yes. And it is. It's so hard for me to to get myself under control like for that mm-hmm.
2: sometimes i just sit down
0: and think
1: about him and it's right. good you know but it's that you know unexpected in right. that. right uh, i had a uh, counselor i went to counseling at life hospice for a while and sure they call it ambush by grief yeah. right uh-huh.
2: yeah. that's
1: a good word you're not expecting and out of the blue you hear a song somebody else saying man john i'm so sorry about and then boom you know
3: yeah and uh, and it can be, and there's uh, uh, smells will do it. Mm-hmm. sometimes things that you smell uh, you're driving along and you pass some place that was a special place, and that triggers it uh, So those kinds of things, uh, what else uh, that uh, something that you felt or something have to yes sir? Uh, <clears throat> this
1: is just for me is. Is having gone through those things where I felt like i, I finished the grieving, that that I was that I, I've really done it, and then things like Johnny today,
3: yeah, triggers more. Yeah, that's more that ambush of grief. Uh, the uh, here's some things that uh, poor concentration, mm-hmm. sometimes where we just have a really tough time thinking. And thinking through something, uh, blank stares, blank staring. You, see, you just you can just stare, just. Uh, but uh, lo- loss of interest. Where things, things that you used to enjoy doing, you just don't do anymore. Just, or it just doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, but it used to be very special and important before. These, these are some things. And of course, it, it can affect your sleep. A lot of people lose weight. <laughs> not the preferred way to lose weight, obviously. But loss of appetite. Now, those, what I'm saying is that these are things that typically happen to somebody. A person can feel like they're going crazy. But they're not. It's just typical grieving. And the stuff that we adjust to a, a grieving when you have a significant loss it it puts a great big gap in your life, a real hole, an emptiness that just just seems like it just it permeates everything you do well now uh, what i 'd like to do is I would like to get to i'd like to get with get to Elizabeth cooper Ross um, and the, the probably the most outstanding book that I've ever seen that written was uh, by Elizabeth Co. Ross is a book called On oh Death and Dying. And it was written back in the 70s, and it's still considered a very classic, classic thing in she is a Swedish, some sort of social worker. She's working in some sort of a hospital, and they would assign to her People who had gotten a terminal diagnosis, people got they would sign to her for counseling, and she she would counsel with these people as they were as they were dying, and she noticed certain things, uh, certain common common stages that these people were going through, and then after a time she would, was counseling with their families and noticed the families were doing the going through the very same stages, so it became that this. This the stages became this became stages of grief and of loss. The stages of grief and loss that she came up with as considered to be uh, acceptable. Now, I've I've seen people try to adapt on it, but there's still just variations, I think, of what the work that she did. But anyway. Stage one is the first stage that, uh, and the reason why I bring this to you, <clears throat> all of us are going to face grief if we haven't already. And all of us are going to go through some stuff. And just to know that there is, a, in a sense, a progression of it. It starts at stage one, it gets to stage five, and you know what stage five is? Acceptance. Well, okay, that's where... And I want to talk a little bit more back acceptance because this is misunderstanding acceptance. But anyway, acceptance, that's where we'd like to get to about our loss. And so we want to get here. And so how do we get from here to there? And there are some certain things we go through. And to know that these are not strange. This is normal. If you go through these, you feel these things, these things happen to you, it's normal for you. And so you're not going crazy okay stage one the first thing that the first feeling the first thought that we have whenever we first hear of the the loss uh, either you know you first heard the diagnosis that your your wife is terminal cancer first get the diagnosis that is terminal or uh, or for some in some cases where the loss is sudden where you just found out just like for Kathy and me, yesterday we got, we got this email that said that uh, Jean McCaslin had died. That, well, because we all knew that she was not well and she didn't have a whole long to live. In fact, Johnny said on Wednesday night in our class, he said, he said it, it may be as early as this weekend, well, lo and behold. But the point is it just a, a sudden loss where uh, a person may be fine one day and they're gone the next accidents, accidental deaths, and that kind of stuff, too. What's the first stage that you have? Now, some of you may know the stages of grief and loss because you've, you've studied it, but if you have, you know, what's the first rate really, of what? Denial. Denial, yes. This is where we tend to say, I just can't believe it. Mm-hmm. That's very typical. I just can't believe it. I remember hearing when John F. Kennedy was killed. And I was told by a girl in the study hall when I was in the tenth grade, you know, John F. Kennedy, Pres President, President Kennedy McKellie, And I just I said, by the way, when do we quit?
0: Uh you've got five minutes or more. <laughs>
3: okay. Let me go five or six minutes.
0: minutes. Okay.
3: There's also this shock. We go through this, there's this shock. And so denial and shock is a tip of the first stage. The second stage, and it says it, it is a stage of anger. Mm-hmm. Where we get angry? Well, why do you get? Who do you get angry at? Some people get angry at God. It doesn't, you know, doesn't particularly serve a purpose. But say, God is not afraid of our anger. That's important to say. But anger, but it's angry, and the anger is because something is not right. That's the definition of anger, if you know. It says, it is our natural feeling for when we perceive something is wrong. Well, whenever there's a loss, it just just shouldn't be. It's natural for us to feel anger, so we we can be even angry at the loved one for leaving us. So that's a strain. But the anger, the third one that she mentioned, I would have never figured out, but it's called bargaining. Elizabeth Murray Gross called it bargaining, and that's whenever we might say something, doctor, if you'll just give my mother something that will. We- heal her. I'll give half of everything I've got to your favorite charity. It's this thing about, if I am willing, if I am, it's this feeling that many of it's kind of say, if I'm willing to sacrifice enough, if I'm willing to work hard enough and try hard enough, surely I can make a difference. Suicide bombers feel that way. They're willing to give their lives because they think that what they're doing is going to make a difference. But the point is, is, surely if I'm willing to do enough, so this, this thought that surely there's something I can do that can make a difference. There's surely, and I, I don't know how much Johnny may have gone through this, surely there's something you can do that kept your wife from dying. But, but inevitably it isn't. You can't change it, but that's what bargaining is. And then we re- reach the stage that is the typical known stage for grief. When a person thinks in terms of grief, what is that? And that is whenever depression hits. And it is typical that uh, the, the stage of depression in grief and loss looks just like a normal, a typical clinical depression that a person may have. And it is very appropriate, as Johnny mentioned, going to a doctor and saying, is there something you can help me with that? They, the, there are sometimes the antidepressants can help take an edge off of it. It's not something that's need to be taken for a long time because as things get better, you, you know, you don't need it anymore. But it does can help with some of that uncontrolled crying, or th- those long gaps of, uh, of difficulty with sleeping or problems with appetite. So, don't be a, some just say don't be afraid to seek some counseling. Or some a uh, doctor that can help through some of that. Their acceptance. Acceptance. I heard somebody say, "I just can't accept because I just can't. I, I I just can't treat my loved one like they didn't matter." Well, acceptance doesn't mean it means like or like I I just can't treat them like they don't that like they didn't exist, like they did not care anymore. Acceptance does not mean forgetting anything about your loved one. You don't have to. Acceptance means. Beginning to recognize that I have, I have a life left. Mm-hmm. I am here, even if my loved one's gone and it's left an empty hole in me that's a mile wide. I am here. Now, this pieces that in my life that's left, what do I do with that? And start beginning to pick up those pieces and begin, and begin to do something with. It. That's all. This, this one acceptance means beginning. To, I'm picking up the pieces. And I have seen just lately there's a fellow who worked with Elizabeth Cooper Ross, and they now have come up with a sixth stage, and that is finding meaning. Finding meaning in life. What can my life mean now? And that is that is me as now as a sixth stage in the stage of grief and loss. So I bring these to you uh, is just to say. They don't, to, to feel them and for this to happen to you doesn't mean you're crazy. But it just means you don't. And does everybody go through these exactly? The exact, now? As Johnny mentioned, everybody's journey of grief is their own. Some do it fairly quickly. In fact, uh, Elizabeth Ross did some res- research on the types of people who go through grief fairly quickly as opposed to those who don't. I find <coughs> it interesting that. Those who go through grief, the easiest from here to here are those who have a deep spiritual walk with the Lord. A fellow who was a missionary in... in, uh, The story is told. A fellow who was a missionary in uh, the Philippines uh, who was very avid, very athletic, very... uh, He was jogging. He would jog all the time. He got to where he would just be real tired. And he he went... uh, and he went to Seattle to get a to get testing to get tested. Found out he had terminal cancer. And the doctors came in and they just said, "I'm sorry, sir. I have to tell you that you have cancer and it's incurable." And and the doc, the guy said to the doctor, he "said You think you're bringing me terrible news? But all you're doing is you're bringing me word that a journey on which I have been all of my life, I'm going to get there early." Now, you see the attitude that went just through really quick. He said, those who, those who have a really tough time are those, are, are those who have a marginal religion. Those who are Sunday morning only religion. Those have the toughest time going through the stages of Greek life. It's not the atheist. Okay. It's just the ones who have a marginal religion have the toughest time going through that. Now, one last thing, and my wife is going, you know, she's doing this, and I, I appreciate that because I wanted her to do that. But the one last thing I want to say, what do you say to someone who's grieving? What's the, what's the word you say? What? Not much. Yes. I'm here for you. The ones the ones who have gone through grief, oh man, we have those who've gone through grief have heard people say things, some sort of platitude to try to help us feel better. Sometimes it's some of the awfulest stuff. Mm -hmm. And I realize how painful it is. The most important thing you can do to a person who's grieving is to be there. Be there for them. You can say, you know, I'm sorry for your loss and I just really feel for your loss, that kind of stuff. And say, but just being there, that means more than any words you can say. Mm -hmm. Preferably say nothing. (laughs) It's better to say nothing. So... It's what Sue says, precious little. Anyway, uh, and yes, ma'am.
0: I was just going to share, like, we all know Catherine Broadway is suffering. And, <clears throat> but yet, she stopped me today to ask me about my son. And uh, so I was talking and, and telling her, and then some other people came up and gave her hugs and all. And I was about to walk off. She wait, wait. I want to hear what you are saying Finish that, wow. and I was
3: like, "Wow, that just been a lot." Yes, and it's amazing where some good people have some mm-hmm. really good attitude about their mm-hmm. own end of life, and so they, and so they, that that can be some wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Thank you, I thank, thank, you. You. Thank, thank, you. So thank you so much. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: yeah. Right. Yes, right. great job, I mean,